Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Instant Regret starring Matt and Jesse, <laughs> peanut butter whiskey, and strawberry sunkissed. Woo! Just kidding. Today on tap, we have Suicide Squad starring Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto, Joel Kinnaman, and Viola Davis, written and directed by David Ayer. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Matt, we didn't even give this new cask a name, but maybe the most appropriate name for it is DC Rock Gut Part 2. <laughs> that works for me because I... Hopefully we're wrong in that. Maybe yeah. we have some light at the we, end of the tunnel, but this we, is a train today. We were wrong the last time, which was which was kind of nice. Yeah. So uh, covering up today from 2016 Suicide Squad. We just finished in the other room. It was a hell of a watch. <laughs> and we got a hell of a drink uh, right here in front of us. So the last time we did this, we did the screwball peanut butter whiskey with grape soda. So we decided to switch it up a bit and screwballs back but this time it's strawberry sunkiss first of all i never even had a strawberry soda of any kind but we've made a strawberry pb and j drink for your for your listening pleasure so it works as a pb and j not as a drink yes <laughs> uh, it's bad this is gross maybe the film's bad and gross too maybe the film's pretty gross and disgusting as well we but- have Hope for next week, though. Like, we were talking off mic about what we might concoct next week oh, to yeah, try yeah. to make this screwball a little bit more palatable. Uh, so we'll save that. But a couple ideas here that I think could be interesting to Absolutely. at least talk about. Absolutely. Before we, we go and cheers, Matt, we have to do a new thing on the show now because this is a new venture for us. We have to uh, shout out our amazing patrons that have already jumped on board the Rye Smile train. That's right. So extra special shout out to Mr. Steve Katchik, Mr. Abel Roca, and Mr. Michael Dixon for joining the Patreon. Um, whether you donate at the $2 level or the $8 level, you're always going to get a Patreon shout out. But Matt and I just want to raise one up for you. Hopefully your drink's a little bit better than ours, but thank you for joining the Rye Smile Hall of Fame. That thing's going to get going this week. We hit the ground running on Wednesday, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you for being the first, the foundation members of our group. Foundation is laid. It's a bit of a soft rollout, but come Wednesday, Mm -hmm. it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. That's right. (laughs) Excellent. Cheers to all three of you. You guys guys rock. Uh, I hope you have a lot of fun with us on this journey. Thank you all for the support. We really do appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Ching. We're drinking out of red solo cups, so ching. There it is. Red solo cups. That's where the level we're at this morning. It is this morning. Mm-hmm. Maybe if this was 10 years ago and I was in college, maybe the screwball would fly as a party drink, but I don't I don't even know if then. Like I think we just went to Jaeger back at that time in our lives, didn't we? Yeah. We're just I'd rather drink pure Everclear at this point. Um but <laughs> excellent. Oh, what's your diagnosis on this? You're right, it does taste like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Grape feet was what you used back when we did this the first time. So I think we're better than that because feet are disgusting. But this isn't good. It's uh it'll serve a purpose, I suppose. Mm-hmm. This is not anywhere near a go to. Usually at this point in the show we get into us pretending to be semi-bourbon snob with the notes of this and that. What do you smell? Yeah, this just smells like uh, $2.50 with the Albertsons um, 
discount that I used on the Sunkist and reheated uh, ideas with the same peanut butter and jelly effects. So to that with a hint of, like you said, regret. There's your tasting notes for our drink of choice today. I, yeah, I don't recommend making this. This is this is purely for entertainment purposes. <laughs> we have an idea for something that's peanut butter and chocolate next week. Yeah, so we'll, we're yeah. kicking around something that, look, it can't be worse. Why yeah. not try it? Yeah, exactly. So let's jump right in. Let's get this party started with our flight question. Okay, real quickly, that's pretty cool. That's actually the Bee Gees. Um, I started a joke, but done in like a cool trailer-like version. So that's the song that actually played out with the teaser trailer that was released at Comic-Con like a whole year before this movie even came out, which you go see it, that trailer, it's pretty good. Um, it's very serious. It's very dark. Um, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of on board with this tone. And this is the time just to talk about this right now. There was a total just course correction after Batman versus Superman came out when we're like, yikes, it's too dark. It's not fun enough. We need to pep it up. So enter generic soundtrack, which we're going to talk about. The next trailer rolled out with Bohemian Rhapsody. So tonally, it was already different. So that isn't the only time that's happened before, you know, with trailers. I mean, the art to making good a good trailer, I think, is really interesting because especially if it's bad, you got to really sell it and really make it good. So my question to you is, <clears throat> I fully went into this movie thinking, this movie is probably going to be pretty good. Those trailers were, all three of them are pretty pretty decent, um, but totally catfished <laughs> after watching the film. When's the other time that that has happened to you when you've just been like totally bamboozled or catfished by a movie trailer? It seems awful to say my answer is what the question is. So as much as I would actually go with Catfish. And for those of you that didn't know that was a movie, I'm going to beg you to please go watch that. And that is presented as, this is not going to be my answer, by the way. That is presented as this thriller that's Hitchcockian and sort of starts to maybe play with the surreal and there's an element of um, the supernatural kind of weaved into that and some weird memorably dreamlike state sequences on the beach. And none of that has anything to do with what that movie is. So we're the weird answer would be catfish with catfish, but that's so on the nose. The other one we've talked about ad nauseum is paranormal activity three. So I'm not going to do that. So you know, I'm going to go with okay. glass. Ooh, <laughs> this was a bit of a trap that was laid for me by myself. I have to admit after the resurrection of that idea and split, with split, mm -hmm. which is kind of the opposite of being catfished because that wasn't what it was supposed to be. And it was much better. When I saw the trailer for glass, I thought we were in the teasing state of what this was going to be. And ultimately there would be a great big showdown with the three parties that were the unbreakable crew. Mm -hmm. 
it never moved to that. And I would argue as much as that film is titled Glass, and I guess then by default it's Sam Jackson's movie as Mr. Glass, mm-hmm. it's not his movie either. It's whatever the hell what's-her-name-is in that. Oh, um, Dr. Ellie Staple? There you go. The colorless Dr. Ellie Staple, except maybe for pink when they finally do decide to give her a color, and whatever crazy chamber of nefaria she is the charter member of. Look, man. I forgot about that scene. Her serpent society. There you go. <laughs> whatever that is, right? Maybe that's what I'm going to go with. There's a lot to that's choose good, from That's here. a good choice, though. I mean, you know, writing the momentum that was split, was, which is so good. It's like... I think I ranked it as Shyamalan's second best movie, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a good deal of excitement going into Glass, especially, you know, bringing the other parts of the puzzle uh, to that to that film. And you're right, the final showdown, it's David Dunn getting drowned out in two inches of water. Yeah. It's the Beast doing his thing, Sam Jackson uh, crumbling over on the pavement. And then the end, which is just like the version of Teen Titans with like the kids, like are they going to carry on the mantle? It, it just didn't live up. And how could it for something you'd been looking forward to and myself since 2000? How could it ever like meet those lofty expectations? But it could have come close, but it didn't. The conversation about what happened in the writing room that we've had a hundred times at least. Mm-hmm. It doesn't start or stop with this, but it's to be considered heavily with this. Mm-hmm. The thing that also made this really frustrating for me, at that time, he was really active on social media, or at least on my social Twitter feed. Who, Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Yeah. And boy, he was, it wasn't quite dailies, but it was a couple times a week about tackled this, and now this is happening, and trying to get through this part of the, like really building up the writing process and story creation, which had me even more hyped. Mm -hmm. And then the movie came out, and... I know. Strawberry feet. <laughs> He's got another movie coming out this uh, summer. It's called Old. Mm. It's about these people that like go through like a crazy aging process on a beach. So it's like, a, oh yeah. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I think we'll be talking about Mr. Shyamalan again this summer, much to our chagrin. <laughs> Did you consider that show that he has running on whatever oh, streaming Apple, services? Apple Plus Servant? Yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'm intrigued about Apple Plus, but <laughs> I would like to. I would like to kind of take a gander at that just to see what that's like. We hammer away on that guy often, yeah. But there's a piece that still is well. There's the good, undyingly the, loyal in you and I that prays that he's going to find the literal definition of the good, the bad, and the ugly with this filmmaking. It's like there's some good stuff, there's some really bad stuff, and there's just some like what is the, I can't even categorize this for his <laughs> After Earth. Okay, yeah. Here's a question for you. Okay. I'm going to let you answer in just a minute, but I want you to answer this first. Okay. I'm not going to let you answer. Give me a break. I'm going to let you in. Gross, huh? <laughs> you can, Jesse. Is The Happening a catfishable trailer, or is that actually what the movie is? Because I don't think it's a catfish trailer. That's what the freaking movie is, isn't it? I was excited when I saw it because I had faith in Mark Wahlberg at that point, and then our rating, I was... And we talked about that on that episode of... I was ex- I was uh, genuinely excited to go into that because it felt different than you know his mess- missteps uh, before the Lady in the Water and uh, the Village. So I, w- I don't want to say catfish because when you go back and watch the trailer, you're like, yeah, it is. This is ridiculous in the trailer too. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense of faith, you know, that I went right. into that one. And I was like, maybe this could be pretty great, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It was absolutely uh, terrible. 
I have a couple honorable mentions I just I just want to discuss first. Uh, of course, the, maybe the most bamboozled trailer of all time is The Phantom Menace. I mean, mm-hmm. I think everyone saw that one was so jazzed and excited and then went and saw a movie about the taxation of trade routes in Star Wars and everyone was like, snoozeville. That's not compelling. <laughs> not compelling at all. Yeah, Jar Jar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jar Jar for the film. Uh, uh, another one, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm. thought that was a really great trailer with the Pinocchio, uh, No Strings on Me. And that movie, like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a bad weekend for that team. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. for something that's supposed to be an age of um, change, like, uh, and there's some change that goes forth in there. Like, the, the movie just couldn't live up to, like, how dark that trailer was, and the film wasn't really that dark. Or really that good either. I'd like to talk about that one one of these days because th- th- it's it's such a busy film. Uh, another honorable mention, I wanted this movie to be so good, and it's absolutely terrible. But the snowman with Michael Fassbender oh, yeah. and Rebecca, Rebecca Ferg- Ferguson and J.K. Simmons, like you see them in a trailer that's like a seven esque like procedural uh, thriller, and you're like, sign me up. And then you see the movie, and you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> that's the director of uh, Let the Right One In, the mm-hmm. Swedish one. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, well, that's not my winner. My winner, and I know oh my this. God, if you just rattled up those three, this is going to be terrible. The film, and I know this film has its fans and its uh, its uh, loyalists out there. I am not one of them. But the one most time I was bamboozled by a trailer was Cloverfield. Mm. It's one of the most amazing pieces of marketing, I think, of all time. It, it came out before the first Transformers uh, movie. It was, it was before that. And I was probably an hour and a half into Transformers, and I was still thinking about Clover, the Cloverfield because it didn't even have a title. It just had a date, and it just had, you know, found footage, monster, Statue of Liberty's head in the middle of the street. Like, sign me up. Like, what is that? Is it Godzilla? Is it uh, some other big kaiju reptilian thing? And then you go see the movie, and it is those things, but it's just, they hadn't perfected, like, the found footage big thing yet. It is so nauseating to watch just from, like, a shaky cam perspective. And the reveal of the monster and the thing just never paid off in a way that was ever going to be as good as that trailer. Uh, to the point where I've just I've I could never I've never gone back to to watch the film again because I was so disappointed the first time. You remember that trailer? I sure do. Yeah, right at the height of this great new genre and film that was going to be found footage, mm-hmm. and it definitely had some staying power, but it's essentially gone now. Yeah, that's a good choice. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. How many times do you actually see that monster in the film? I think uh, zero like, total, right? Like full on, like. I think at the end you get like a pretty blurryish kind of close up, but uh, everything's like in explosions behind dust, behind shadow. So yeah, you don't get like a, and it's like a like a crabby looking thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish it was Godzilla to be honest with you. <laughs> Speaking of trailers and Godzilla, mm-hmm. did you see that this week? Godzilla Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? I think I think we definitely tease that we're gonna cover that. So yeah. I want it to be good. <laughs> You told me something when I got here this morning that's I want it to be good too. Mm-hmm. Also, that I can't wait to talk about, but it's not this show, it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. But what you told me when we were having a bite, yeah, about what's coming, yeah, in Justice League, <sighs> I yikes, we have a lot <laughs> to talk about just with that alone. I know, and that, that one's going to be because it's four hours, we're going to split it up in half and just kind of really get into. Two different versions of kind of the same story. Mm-hmm. We've never done that before, so no. that'll be wild. Matt, I love your choice. Yours uh, too, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to go back and 
maybe I don't want to revisit Glass, and I, I don't want to revisit Cloverfield, but there's something to really good marketing. I mean, people those people get paid a lot of money to make a turd look amazing, and it happened with this film. So Trailers not- are fun because they're so accessible, and it's two and a half, three minutes. So, yeah, let us know on the socials what you all see as the catfish trailer of all time because i love to go down that path real quick not to like go down like a crazy rabbit hole but do you remember kind of like that like it's kind of different now with the internet and when a trailer hits you know it gets linked on facebook or whatever social and you see it instantly but do you remember like the days when you'd go to the movies and you'd just be sitting there like 20 minutes before the film and like a trailer would come on and be like i didn't even know they were making this movie like you'd, oh, yeah. be, you'd be like blown away like i guess i kind of miss that i go, do too like, well, I miss going to movies, first of all, but like the surprise element, like the trailers used to be my favorite part of going to the movies. Sure. Like the movie could be like be whatever, but I always was curious about what was coming next. That marketing was so effective. The walk down the hall with the coming mm-hmm. attraction posters lining each side of the mm-hmm. hallways and then the, tri- yeah, so good. Yeah. I totally remember that. Oh my God, they're making Gremlins too. <laughs> Sign me up. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Coming yeah. soon. It was always my my one of the oh I should have went with this one but like the it was the I was the trailer already revealed to me what the real movie was the trailer for Scooby Doo the live action Scooby Doo starts yeah you got laugh it starts out with the Tim Burton uh, the <clears throat> the Danny Elfman Batman music mm. and it like it's like a POV walk up to this mansion through like the halls and it's this voiceover when danger like who do you turn to I'm like oh my god they're making another Batman movie like I never even heard of this and they go and it's like the silhouette of like these ears and then they cut to it and it's Scooby <laughs> I was so pissed <laughs> catfished in the trailer right there well they, they, well they were queuing it up i mean i was like i know that elfman music that's the mm-hmm. batman theme oh that was absolutely terrible <laughs> that's awesome excellent well let's not beat around the bush matt let's get right into this mess and our review breakdown of suicide squad in some work but i finally have them the worst of the worst there's rumors amanda that uh, some of them have abilities well the rumors are right you know what the problem with the metahuman is? The human part. We got lucky with Superman. He shared our values. The next Superman might not. You're playing with fire, Amanda. I'm fighting fire with fire. You're not going to pitch us that Task Force X project of yours again, are you? Yes. But this time, you're going to listen. Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot. Show me those stats. Okay, we got to come back to all of what just happened right there, but we got to start at the beginning, which is uh, the introduction of this prison. It, the name's escaping me because in Batman, I only know Blackgate and Arkham. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but it's it's some other prison, and I think we're like in New Orleans or some some place, or we got a DC's version of what New Orleans is. We got to talk about this soundtrack immediately because the film almost takes the form of a music video mm-hmm. in the first 40 minutes of this thing. I think there's no joke. I'm not exaggerating. I think there's about 20 different tracks that we pound through in about 40 minutes. So I think we start out with House of the Rising Sun mm-hmm. by the Animals and then uh I'm not going to I'm not going to remember all of them but the Rolling Stones I know for sure in there uh Sympathy for the Devil whatever song Harley's on her little uh, silks with, uh, I can't remember what that is. Yes. And then there's, you know, you have Kanye West and Eminem, and then you have um, Creedence Clearwater Revival and uh, Super Freak by Rick James. Okay. 
David Ayer is obviously trying to do the Tarantino soundtrack thing and have all these kind of unique sounds for, for the characters and whatnot, but Tarantino's like, he's mastered that art of pinpoint, pinpointing songs that we've never heard before and putting them in in a unique, thoughtful way. Little Green Bag, I never heard that song before. Mm-hmm. I like how you used it in this film. Uh, stuck in the Middle with You. Torture scene, it makes it more palatable. To shove these songs in here for song's sake, and they're not even like, this is like, Ayer went to like the greatest hits of all these bands and picked out like songs we hear all the, like Seven Nation Army, all these songs, and kind of pluck like a greatest hits record for this thing. And it doesn't make it like a remarkable soundtrack for me. I hear these songs on the radio all the time. I think we're addressing a larger problem here. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of it. What takes time to develop with relationships between characters and audience happens slow. And it's the unfolding of story that is interesting. And the moments in the story that you give the audience matter. And none of that happens fast. I use it too much and it's, I'm going to use it again, but it's been talked to death. If Marvel was what it was to finish up with Endgame, that was a long 23 chapter or something road. Mm Mm-hmm. Along the way, there were plenty of interesting and creative organic moments that let us meet, get to know, and grow up with the characters a little bit, if you hadn't already done so in the comics. Mm -hmm. And even if you did, there was still room to do it. DC's plague is this simple. Speed. Mm -hmm. We want to do this right now. We need everybody to care in two seconds. And it comes across as schlocky. Mm Mm-hmm speedily sloppily done with very little buy-in you stopped at the movie when we were going through it and Mm -hmm. said it's just exposition dump after exposition dump and frankly Mm -hmm. if it hadn't been done that way yeah those origin pieces from those characters (laughs) actually aren't terrible stories maybe more interesting than the one that we're given in this film Oh, absolutely but the music is also another embodiment of that yeah it's, it's almost really distracting did you go to uh, the greatest hits of the 1970s. And oh, I 60- forgot about ACDC with Boomerang. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Okay. Yeah. Those songs are not interesting. Like, I never... This is blasphemy, I'm sure, in rock and roll annals, but I hate House of the Rising Sun no matter who does it. I fucking hate that song. <laughs> I've always hated it. So, okay, that's but yeah. that's just a personal thing. No, yeah, thing. go ahead. Yeah, It's overplayed. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, overplayed. Every one of them, and if you take a character... Mm-hmm. And use something overplayed, and the music is really important because we're introducing them as we raise the curtain on the stage with the song. It's almost like curtain goes up and music fills the space that the curtain took up. It creates exhaustion and indifference for me with the characters at the jump. Absolutely. And those characters, Harley Quinn's cool, right? We all agree with that. And partly because it's Margot Robbie and partly because she's just awesome. I know you like Deadshot because of Batman. I mean, as much as someone would like one, but the rest of those characters. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And the most important of them, which is El Diablo. Yeah. We don't really see him except for about three minutes in the movie matter. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but Mm -hmm. it's sloppy. It's fast. And I'm just completely indifferent to wash in exposition dumps. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I think we're going to be talking. Bad music. (laughs) 
a generic music. I think we're going to be talking about a lot about a certain director on this uh, show because it's impossible not to draw the parallels between another team-up movie that came out around the same time, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm talking about James Gunn, who's directing the next version of what Suicide Squad's going to be later this summer. Is, okay, I haven't looked. Okay. I don't mean to interrupt you. Did I, yeah. I don't want to steal your No, go ahead, yeah. Have they cast it yet? No, they already filmed the movie. It's coming out in July. Right, so give it to him. So the only people coming back from this movie are Margot Robbie, Viola Davis, uh, Boomerang, Jai Courtney, and Joel Kinnaman. It's got another cast deep of like 20 other people. John Cena. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of who, el- who else is in it, but it's they're going more for a little bit more of the ridiculous, but more in like a 70s like combat movie vibe, like a mission type of thing. I'm willing to put more full faith into something like that because we've seen it done really well two times before with him. And in talking about the soundtrack with Gunn, I mean, he's he's really good at it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, when's the last time you heard Brandy or such a fine girl or Fox on the run? I mean, he found unique ways to add music to his movies that aren't, you know, exposition dumps, but they enhance the characters that they're, they're played in during those scenes. Uh, the Cat Stevens uh, father and son uh, song at, at the end of that is really powerful. I have a lot of faith for him because he has the ability and he found a way to write unique characters and make them stand out, not through exposition, but through the, the character development, whether that be Drax and you and I have, you know, we have a, a great time talking about Drax the Destroyer, but whether that be Rocket or Gamora or Peter Quill, I want to see his version of that with these characters from DC. So I am excited about that. I mean, we might talk about that at the end, but I think it's impossible not to bring him up in comparison to what this film is obviously trying to do. A team up movie of some not so great people. Um, yes. Oh, Idris Alba's in that movie too. James Gunn would be capable of, if given the right and the ability to go back and redo a suicide squad, find a way to use Jerry Rafferty and Baker Street mm-hmm. or right down the line as an introduction to occasion where David Ayers would use like <clears throat> um, Center Field by John Fogarty. Mm-hmm. There's just such a huge difference yeah. in the tonal quality of those songs. And I'm not begging on Jerry, on John Fogarty. Yeah. But there's a difference in that with overplayed cheddar versus interesting and fits the character with what you're trying to do. I'm hopeful that James Gunn can get this right. Me but too. again, we're in the same problem and that's we're reheating what the guardians have already done with the director who's already done it in the guardians to play catch up with a team that's already been established. That's kind of familiar, but mostly just because we need Margot Robbie and she sells tickets and puts butts and seats because she's hot and people are crazy with Harley Quinn, kind of the same way they are, like with anything having to do with Venom ugh, in the Marvel Universe. It's already two strikes. I mean, they're already down 0-2 in but the bottom you, of the night. I think you brought up the right batter, though, to combat for you when you're down 0-2. Fair. He's proved that he can write big ensemble pieces for with a lot of characters. Because we didn't even talk about Yondu and Man, Like, all the characters that are in those movies, I mean, they're packed. Uh uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of see what that is, but let's talk about another problem. You brought it up, this kind of just exposition vomit dump 
First of all, I hate the word metahuman in this DC film. Just call them superheroes. Like, what the hell are you calling the metahumans for? Right. And all this thing, and she's like, he's like, Superman came and he luckily had her ideals. Okay, the last time I saw Superman, he like threw your your spy satellites down because he didn't want him spying on him. <laughs> so, okay. Right. But uh, anytime we're inter- during this disgusting scene where Viola Davis and the people she's eating with, they're just talking, they're chewing and talking. Chew your food, swallow it, and then give us the dialogue. It's so disgusting. And then we get the the kind of almost like the baseball card montage of all these characters. So we get well Floyd Lawton, Deadshot, and then all his stats. He's good with these guns. So this is, like you said, the movie doesn't have enough time because it's already bloated to capacity to provide us with seeing these things. They got to tell it to us. And that's like a huge no-no when writing you're supposed to show, don't tell. This movie is the definition of telling and not showing us anything. And we get a couple little kind of glimpses in there of seeing Deadshot really good at kind of completing these jobs. Uh, and then has this altercation with Batman. I can't believe they brought Ben Affleck into this thing to be some type of Tony Stark glue to like bridge these films together. But even that doesn't work. It does nothing for me. Okay, so it does nothing for you except to remember or remind everyone that Batman's part of this universe. And essentially, these characters are all Batman offshoots. We both were in the same space when we st- <laughs> just took a drink of that drink and made a terrible face. <laughs> we, we both stopped the film and had a conversation about this too, which mm-hmm. is how is this team of D-listers, and for as great as Deadshot and Harley Quinn are, those are D-list metahuman abilities available to you. Mm-hmm. There's not, I mean, a, a really, a dead-eye assassin, okay. And then whatever Harley is, which is not a metahuman at all. She's not. She's just She's just painted, like just yeah. whatever the Joker did to her. Okay. Batman essentially takes down all of them single-handedly, with the exception of the throwaway bit, Ezra Miller showing up as, oh boom, as uh, the Flash. <laughs> To take care of the most inconsequential out of all of them in this film, which is, is Boomerang, it's Captain such a, Boomerang. It's such a dumb scene that probably took a whole day's worth of filming. And I told you it's probably expensive to just wheel out a, a someone like that and put him in a costume and put those effects together for just nothing. I mean, if you team all of these guys up together and have them take on Batman, I still my money's still on Batman. Yeah. And that's not a metahuman either. That's a smart guy smart. with a lot of cool gadgets. Smart rich guy. The other thing, too, is the selection of bad guys. The Suicide Squad in fiction is a revolving door of characters, mm-hmm. and there's been lots of players that have been part of that. Yeah. If you use Killer Croc, I guess you have access to water. <laughs> okay. But maybe there's a play there. Here's the one that's really puzzling. Why do you need Deadshot and Boomerang? Because they, they are both the same essential character skill set. Like, really Just great with different aim. weapons, yeah. Bullets versus boomerangs. <laughs> what a, oh, oh my God, don't throw the boomerang at me. Like, yeah. stupid. Mm-hmm. They present little to no threat. And if Amanda Waller is assembling this team of D-listers to take down Superman, somebody set the alarm clock because he's going to sleep through the whole event. It's a horrible plan. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, there's no, the only superhero, super metahuman one of them is the Diablo character who is in the bleachers for two thirds of this entire movie. And I would argue maybe is the best character in this film and used the least. 
He's got the best story, in my opinion. The problem, we got to get there because, okay. no, I agree with you. His, his little emotional thing that they throw at us at the 11th hour, this kind of life preserver as we're drowning in the frozen waters of the Titanic sinking, is pretty well done. When you sit there, okay, so let me draw a comparison and then ask you a question. Okay. Suicide Squad is not the Avengers. There's different teams, oh, no, no. but let's take Suicide Squad compared to Guardians because you brought it up. Okay. There are several participants. There's even a couple different versions of the Guardians that they could have choose. So in the writing room, here's the list of all the potential characters that we could view. We need we need muscle. We need strategy. We need um, armaments. We need you know, technology. Like whatever. They mm -hmm. assemble a team based on the skill sets available with the characters. When the Suicide Squad team is put up and they're deciding on which they're going to choose... Is there a set number? We have to have six. We need seven. And what goes in to the process of choosing? You and I have written a few stories that I'm not comparing what we've written to this film because it's not made. And that mm -hmm. sounds gross to, to even begin to approach that subject. Because who are we? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to assemble a team, Jesse, and I'm going to give you four, five choices, mm -hmm. you take whatever. Tell me the components you want to have on that team. Like, screen it out with me right now. Spec it out with me. What are the five, four to five players we have to have in the roles that they fit? I want the tactic, the tact, the tactician. Okay, yeah. I want the femme fatale. Yep. I want the muscle. Good. I want the weapons guy. Yeah. And I probably want spy, maybe infiltrator. Oh yeah, the chameleon guy, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That fifth one might be, yeah. we, I said four to five, so maybe we only need four. So this is where the A-team, they really knew how to make a team. <laughs> In that, we have a strange selection. There's That's a pretty standard group we came up with, or you came up with right there, mm -hmm. kind of because it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Where the hell do we start checking the boxes off on what roles filled by whom on this? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. They're already painted into a corner because the selections, I don't want to say sucks, but kind of sucks. Yeah, and I wonder if it, because David Ayer wrote this thing, I wonder how much notes he took from Warner Brothers, probably a lot, but I wonder if Ayer just picked like his favorite that he like found. I don't know. That, the, kind of what, that's kind of what it seems like. I was surprised that there wasn't other writers. It's solely just him. Uh, and this is shocking too, because the film he made prior to this is a film I would easily give a top shelf rating to, and that's Fury with uh, the Tank movie with Brad Pitt. Right. It's a great film. I even like End of Watch. I kind of like uh, Harsh Times with Christian Bale as well. So, like, what happened to this guy? Like, it's just like you make such a big film and, like, all the pressures of studio filmmaking, like, really close in around you. All right, we got to talk about the next elephant in the room. Jesus Christ. Oh, there she is. The fire in my loins. The itch in my crotch. Oh, Harley Quinn. Oh, calm it, Daddy. Pen? Oh. <laughs> Listen, you are my gifts to this handsome hunka hunka. You belong to him now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cute. You want me? I'm all yours. 
But it doesn't matter because I'm killing you anyway. Jesus Christ. Jared Leto in this film is just absolutely atrocious. Every decision that was made for this character, both acting, costume, writing, directing, is a colossal miss for me. Jared Leto is just kind of a miss in general for me on the acting spectrum. Mm. But he's doing... Johnny Depp playing the Joker, doing a Jim Carrey impersonation. Yeah, I was going to say a gangster version of T-Rex as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Not Tyrannosaurus Rex, like Glamrock. Mm-hmm. Mark Bull and T-Rex. Yeah. With the grill and these tattoos and the whole vibe is just so... It's like Joker pimp, but none of it plays. And it's just so overplayed out. Like You, you can tell Leto's like really trying to get there with something and there's nothing there. Oof, like I just, I kind of cringe when he comes on the screen and it's just like it takes up space and air in this film. Harley Quinn is interesting because she does have the ties to the Joker and the way that the Batman shows up for a minute in the beginning of this film is enough to tease out an expansion into a larger world. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Joker, and I agree, he's terrible. It's a strange <laughs> depiction and I'm not really sure what he's going for and why he's grilled and pimped and tattooed and... All of these glam rock, gangster, Johnny Depp, all that. Yes, all that. Mm -hmm. I think we need maybe one scene with him, and it's just a discussion between the two of them that's happening at Arkham, where we see his seduction of her and then her shift to become Harleen Quinzel to Harley Quinn. And that's it. Yeah. She's much better and more capable than him in this film. Oh, of course. And he gets on there, and he steals all her thunder in a really bad way. And he's awful. In a really bad way. I mean, like, you are diverted from her. And she is such an interesting-looking creature in this. He comes on, and it's so garish and so stark (laughs) and so striking that you are distracted, and his role in this film is so inconsequential. Yes, he's a terrible choice. You know, I don't know if Jared Leto looked at what do I need to do to be the Joker as an actor online and said, make sure you accent certain words at various times because that's what the Joker did. Like, uh, like right? Let that's me tell his, you, that's his trope. Let me tell you what he did do because, of course, he had to go full method for this. Oh, for God's sakes. That's exactly what he did. He sent Joker gifts to the cast and crew. This is disgusting. He sent a live rat to Margot Robbie. He sent a pack of bullets to Will Smith, a soiled playboy to Adewale Adebayo, who plays Killer Croc, a dead uh, hog, a pig, which they actually used in the shot. Remember they drop a dead pig into Croc's lair? Yeah. Yeah, He sent that to the cast and crew as a gift. Anal beads and used condoms. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hang on a second. Your Stravinsky method and studying with Lee Strasberg and all that great method acting that like Marlon Brando did, you know, all of all those actors and your Daniel Day Lewis's. There's being a method actor and then there's being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well what said. The f- is that? 
Oh, God, that is just so stupid. And he's tried to kind of walk back that, like, that he says, I didn't send that stuff that got blown out of proportion. But, like, Marco Robbie kept the rat you cape. She even gave it a name. So, okay, come on, man. Man. Well, if that's the bridge that you're going to build so that you have a better understanding of the Joker, I guess you're going to get what we saw in film. I mean, I would argue that works as stupid as that is. Lines up perfectly with how stupid that portrayal of the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Do you think being cast as the Joker is an easy play or is that a difficult play as an actor? Oh. Tough gig or easy gig? Um, I think now, um, I think it's a tough gig. I do too. Because I think a lot of people, great people have worn those shoes and mm-hmm. done it so in so different ways. Joaquin Heath, Jack, Cesar Romero with his mm-hmm. inability to shave his mustache and just paint over my mustache. Yeah. Mark Hamill, for that matter. Mm-hmm. I think it is a hard role to play. So you do have to go a little bit out of your way to kind of find your own little niche to make it your own. This is not the way to do it. No. Um, and he's he's done no services by the script at all. None. Um, I think it was David Ayer's uh, suggestion to do the tattoos, which who, who thought that would have looked great? They should have done a test and said, no, this looks terrible. But um, allegedly a lot of his scenes got cut from the film. Not enough in my opinion. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. And you're right. He shows up, steals Harley's thunder. Um, and then just shows up to make everything more confusing. And is this a love movie? Because it's not. It's this team-up movie. Like, pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's the other thing, too, that's interesting is, in a weird way, this is kind of a love movie because each of the motivations of the people that we're going to really get to know is from that place that is love. <laughs> Except when the Enchantress tries to fool Will Smith, and we'll get to that later. But it's... I lost my wife. I lost my pudding. Um, my my other gal here has been taken over by some demonic presence in a cave, um, and I want to get her back. These people do have an unrequited motivation to do what they do in the interior of their soul. Now, the exterior is their head's going to be blown off because they have an implant that's going to destroy them if they don't follow Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg's wishes. But each one of them has tried to be more sympathetic because they're doing it for love, Jesse. Okay, look, it sounds stupid to me to say it, and I'm being an asshole the way I'm presenting it to you. But there is a play there, I guess. But again, like everything... Every character has the same play except for Killer Croc, who I guess just wants to like swim in the sewers and watch BET. Oh my God. But the other ones, it's about what they've lost from loved ones. You can't do that with these criminals every single time because it just starts to feel reheated. And now we're John Fogarty. Uh, put me in coach center field instead of right down the line by Jerry Rafferty. There's let's, nothing original about let's it. Let's talk about the, the last game you br- and you brought her up, which is the Enchantress. Who's, would we call that the villain of the movie? Sure. There's a couple. I, they're all villains in the movie. But Amanda Waller's plan is to put this group of people together, and then she has like a wild card backup plan, which is, okay, I have this witch thing that we found. And it's inhabited this archaeologist, and we can pull it out like a genie out of the bottle, like whenever we whenever we want. And if she disobeys us, we can stab the the, the shit out of this this voodoo heart. 
Wait, what? Yeah, so this is their this is their plan and like It doesn't make sense. Are you sure that's in the movie? Yeah. And so <laughs> okay. yeah, it's Cara Delevingne. She's not great either. Uh and she's got this thing with Rick Flagg played by Joel Kinnaman. We got to talk about him here in a second too. Uh but it's almost borderline hilarious like what just ha- transpires because they essentially create the villain. And I hate this in movies. We talked about this, I think, the last time we did a batch of superhero stuff where their own uh, willingness... Uh, it was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. This guy's put this team together, and that's the only team that could undo his plan. That's so stupid. It is so stupid. So Amanda Waller puts together the villain that is so powerful that can take this team out, and she's already like known to be like untrustworthy. We have to have the heart in the box. Heart-shaped box. Nirvana. Surprised that didn't play at that wow. point. Uh, yeah, no kidding. How did that not make it in here? Yeah, how did that not make the cut? But, of course, as it goes, uh, things went awry. She, she lets They let the genie out of the bottle. She takes over because she's flipping back and forth. And then picks some rand- finds her brother in another vase, goes to some random subway station, abducts just some random passerby, puts the, the brother in this guy, and then creates this new villain. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. It didn't. It was just so random. Like, why did you choose him, first of all? Why did you go there, of all the places? And so then the deterrent, you, you spend all this time establishing this team and giving us their stack cards. No, send in enchantress to see to go take care of this it's almost i wish i had the line i didn't think about it until we watched it but the line rick flag and enchantress go to the subway and he says go in and get her and you come right back and she's enchantress and then we cut to amanda waller she says flag what happened she bolted like (laughs) no what did you think was gonna happen yeah it's and it's just in a pass away line of dialogue it's so ridiculous and now they've made their situation even more worse because we don't know even know the the extent of Enchantress's powers. She's able to create an army out of people, a goo army out of people, and they're building a sky weapon. Again, this film could have gone the simple route and just done like a street level suicide squad, like let's take down a mob boss. Yep. No, we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta destroy the world. Enchantress wants to destroy the world because of something. Well, you hit the nail on the head there. This is so perfect for street level bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go back two minutes and play the bit that Jesse was just talking about, and just listen to that in the state that it is, it might be reminiscent to a conversation that you're having with someone that's about five years old as they're trying to explain the complexities of their day on the playground, and it just doesn't make sense. They're terrible at telling stories because they're not just practiced at it the way people that make films should be. Mm-hmm. You were going through that rant there, and I was trying to, in my mind, put the pieces together. Having seen this film a couple of times now. Too many times. And I couldn't even keep up with it. And you know what? It was accurate what you said, and the beats were in place, and that was a true depiction of what we saw on the screen. And that was just a complete load of crapola that you just <laughs> dumped on my my you know my, my shoes here. Yeah. It's and that's the story. It's difficult when you watch a movie and you literally have to question, what is going on? Why did they go there? Why did they do that? How do they do that? Why didn't they use the team they created? Like you come, you're just, you have more questions than you're getting answers. And that's a frustrating space to be in. Why are Rick Flagg and Cara Delvine, whatever, the doctor, 
when she's not the Enchantress. June? Dr. June? Dr. June. Why are they in the subway? What are they doing there? What are they doing there to plant that bomb before the Enchantress takes over Dr. June? How did they get there? And if we've seen the Enchantress Mm -hmm. take over Dr. June several times, including in their bedroom, Rick Flagg's bedroom, Mm -hmm. what in the world thinks if you take her to a subway, she's going to be able, with the heart in tow, by the way, Yeah, that... That's like in the. Exit. What are they doing in the subway? Yeah, what, but, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, they're trying to take down the the other guy, the brother now, because he's running amok down there. But what they're trying to do with the, I have no idea what they're trying, what the play at play is. It's like in, go do something, Enchantress. That's a horrible plan. It's a horrible game plan. We pick it up earlier before Jesse went to that bit in Rick Flagg's bedroom, and we see Doctor June change into the Enchantress and then disappear. And she disappears into some state that is bouncing around from several locations and then settles on this poor bastard in the subway and transfixiates the brother version of what she is into just some rando so that he can protect her from future heart stabs, which wouldn't happen if she didn't leave anyway. None of this is making any sense. Mm -mm. Again, you said it so well. We can skip all this. Find somebody that's about the level that they can handle on a streetwise basis, whether that's um, Black Mask. They did it in the next movie, The Ah. Birds of Prey. Yeah, so I was just going to say Black Mask would be perfect for this. Perfect. Yeah. Because he's got enough henchmen that you have fodder. You can just wipe people out because the fodder you get in this are those bubbly-faced... Oh, my God. That's so... Ash bubble creature things. It's so stupid. Um, inconsequential army if batman single-handedly can take down all of you who i will remind everyone does not have any meta human abilities other than he's smart i'll also remind you it's ben affleck puffy ben affleck (laughs) they have no shot no against the enchantress or her brother there's no way and they're already making a sky weapon how i don't know ties to terminator it's skynet oh interesting but yeah you're right you're going to go in with this team. How do you expect to even put a dent in what those two are capable of doing? When you move to like this supernatural or godlike state, you do yourself such a disservice because your characters that are street level D listers have to then operate in a space that is not at all appropriate for them. And I will remind everyone, this is another common problem with DC films. See wonder woman 84 and the air and sea battle with Wonder Woman and the cheetah. These are fisticuffs, hand-to-hand, small weapons, street-level, urban bad guys that need to take on some other adequate level of urban bad guy that they can defeat. Two Two godlike presences that are capable of taking on the world, I would argue... That's a greater threat than what we saw in the Justice League, which whatever the hell that thing's... What was that guy's name? Oh, Steppenwolf? Those two brother and sister... Yeah. Those two brother and sister as gods are far superior power-wise to Steppenwolf. Yeah, you need Superman to come in and save the day. They have no shot. No shot. Okay, let's talk about the last member, and then let's get on on with this mission. Mm -hmm. Mr. Rick Flagg. Your next injection you got. It's a nanite explosive. It's the size of a rice grain, but it's powerful as a hand grenade. 
You disobey me, you die. You try to escape, you die. You otherwise irritate or vex me, and guess what? You die. I'm known to be quite vexing. I'm just forewarning you. Lady, shut up! This is the deal. You're going somewhere very bad to do something that'll get you killed. But until that happens, you're my problem. So was that like a, a pep talk? Yeah, that was a pep talk. Here's your shit. Grab what you need for a fight. We're wheels up in 10. You might want to work on your team motivation thing. You heard of Phil Jackson? Yeah. He's like the gold standard, OK? Triangle, bitch. Okay, I like the little Phil Jackson anecdote, but Joel Kinnaman, we're fans of this guy, mm -hmm. maybe only from one thing, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a show that was on AMC and then on Netflix and then back to AMC and back to Netflix, and I don't even know where it's at now because it's not on Netflix anymore. It's done, I think. Well, it's done, but like you can't stream it on Netflix anymore. Oh, you can't I, I can't even anywhere. find it. Yeah, and The show is called The Killing. It's terrific. Four seasons. It was a really good show. He yeah. plays detective, a holder in that show, and... If, he found like a unique way to play this kind of tweaked out meth head detective guy. Mm -hmm. And it's a great performance by him. So I was really looking forward to seeing him get into features. And then the first thing he did, fuck RoboCop remake, terrible, absolutely terrible. And then he finds his way into this. I rattled off the names that were supposed to be Rick flag, Tom Hardy. You probably begged Alejandro Gonzalez and you read to, hey, can you do some re reshoots on The Revenant so I don't have to do this other movie? Might have. So he got out. And then enter Jake Gyllenhaal to come and play another very capable actor, good actor. He bailed, probably thankfully for his career. And then it falls onto Kinnaman. And it's he's supposed to be like the leader linchpin of this entire group. And he just comes off like almost, I don't want to say whiny, but like so ridiculous in his like, speech moments <laughs> scenes <laughs> military strategist hard ass mm -hmm. i guess the look fits maybe he kind of fits the look those other two guys would as well and i almost wonder if like you said that was a pass for reasons that they winky winky said i'm busy because they just knew what was coming i want to go back to holder okay. detective holder and the killing is a really great right and so he's got room to operate in. There's another film that Joel Kinnaman made that's just on the top of my head right now. It's uh, Denzel and Ryan Reynolds' Safe House. Mm -hmm. And he has an appearance in that that is similar to the character he's playing in this film. Um, I think he's got the chops. He's got the looks. He had a pretty decent run on House of Cards before that show went to the dogs and whatever. I don't even know where that's at these days. I don't care anymore. Um, as the season before Kevin Spacey went the full you know dog ass route yeah <laughs> that show was losing itself anyway but the first yeah. couple seasons of that were pretty good i uh -huh. think kenneman's appearance is season three i don't know you're looking him up it looks like but okay so blah 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 he's talented and he's got a good look and i'm a huge fan mm -hmm. he needs to fire his agent oh absolutely because i think at this point that career is pretty close to doa i mean i don't mean nicholas cage doa but it's not far from it, and it shouldn't be. He's young, he's good-looking, he can play a lot of parts. Mm -hmm. Holder had moments in The Killing, which is a very serious procedural cop show mm -hmm. where he's quite funny, he can be charming, mm -hmm. he's got the look, he can play the politician, equally done well, and like I said, House of Cards. It's all absent here. Range. <laughs> the guy has some range. Yeah. 
Um, but in the sound that you just played without the look, those lines are pretty wooden, dude. Oh, yeah. So maybe maybe we're wrong, Jesse. Maybe mm-hmm. he caught lightning in a bottle because the killing was so well written. Yeah. I mean, yeah, then it shows when you're dealing with inadequate material. You know, you write dialogue that's interesting with ellipses and semicolons and such in there that emphasize pause, which is really creating a tonal approach to the character as they're presented speaking in dialogue. On You can write good dialogue that people have to say things certain ways. Because mm-hmm. in this, again, then there, like there's not a lot of room for him to work with, but even the little bit of room that he's working with, there's just not a great mastery over what this is supposed to be in my mind. Do you think James Gunn can fix this a little bit with this character? Okay, we're going to find out. Yeah. Because this character... If done properly, can be a hard ass, can be gregarious, can be comedic, and can be forgiving for being such an asshole because the task is so important. We're about to find out. Okay. We're going to put the litmus test on Mr. Joel Kinnaman when Suicide Squad 2 is released for our eyes, and I pray to the heavens that he can at least resurrect what i think is a career on life support is that fair oh absolutely uh that's too bad (laughs) that's too bad cheers to your career uh okay let's get on with this crazy ass mission cheers to your career yeah uh let's get on with this crazy ass mission because the movie essentially turns into escape from new york just out of nowhere they're just ripping off carpenter now they all had this implant in them because we know they're bad if they're gonna bail we're gonna kill them the same thing that they do to Pliskin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go in behind enemy lines, like this walled off thing. There's no one there. You the only one. There's all these downed airplanes and stuff there, too. I mean, it's like imagery right out of New York, Escape from New York. Uh, and then we just get into, like I said, the inconsequential army fighting with these bubbly ghoul monster things that the Enchantress is making back at the train station. From humans. Something completely insane happens in this scene because Deadshot, Will Smith, who, again, did he wisely choose uh, to not do Independence Day resurgence in favor of this film? I don't know. (laughs) That's a lose-lose, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, that's film, which is worse. I don't know. That's good. Yeah, I... I don't even know where to go with that. Independence Day 2 is awful. Yeah. Is it worse than this? I don't know, maybe. I don't know. Uh, okay, so he's he's like really steadfast and like no one wants to agree to the terms of the mission. They're all being really stubborn and man- manipulative and hard to work with. And then something really stupid happens. Uh, so oh, wait, something stupid happens? Yeah. Weird. They're in this alleyway and they see these little bubbly ghoul things. And he keeps saying, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm going to put you down flag and this and that. And then like Will Smith has like a change of heart in whatever instance, because he sees through the scope that this guy's not human and then decides to play ball. Mm -hmm. That is just horrible character development. Like there was no switch or change or flashback to his daughter or to Batman, anything to like make him give us a reason why uh, he needed to, to, to like play ball now other than to survive. It's so stupid. <clears throat> These bubbly goo creatures, when Flag Incorporated rolls up on them, what are they doing? Just hanging out in the street. Yeah, one of them. And then there's like, a, then suddenly there's like 50 of them. How obvious is this? Mm-hmm. When they roll up on that guy in the street that's the bubbly goo creature, he needs to be terrorizing some young child, some some little girl. Yeah. 
and that writes itself because it reminds him of his girl. And they've already set that up because we have moments where Will Smith will walk by and see something that reminds him of his daughter. And then we get the one of two ways that every scene ends in this movie, which is look of consternation on featured character in that scene's face or quippy one-liner before we move on to another stupid action bit. Well, let's talk about that now. But right, I mean, like, if this gooey guy is terrorizing this poor little girl, then at least we get a change of heart. Ah, and we create some sympathy in him. Nope, that's way too smart. No sympathy. Not going to happen. No sympathy and no, like, yeah, no change of heart. Like, that doesn't happen until... I don't even know if that happens at the end they of the movie. They drag Kinnaman away, sort of, and they have to save him. Otherwise, they're going to kill him, and they're all going to get their heads blown up as well. I guess that's the beginning. Uh, maybe. Matt and I locked into some type of like weird film osmosis in the middle of watching this thing, and we were both thinking the same thing, and he started talking, and I essentially just finished his <laughs> sentence because it was the same train of thought. Mm-hmm. Every scene in this, when the scene ends, and we go transition to interior or exterior next scene... Every scene ends with some quippy parting shot of, that's a bad bitch. My guns are bigger than yours are. Take some of that. I want one. Or like, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's every scene ends in that this kind of like. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Trail off way. Bullshit. Yes. Yeah. Schwarzenegger ain't in this movie. You don't need to do that. And it's very distracting. And none of them are landing mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. None. I can't believe we both picked up on that. Like at the same moment, I guess we had had enough. <laughs> I don't know which one it was, but we we're like, God, this script is just quip after quip. And none of them are good. <laughs> it's just that's just a shame. I mean, and this is going to kind of get into my rating. <laughs> Maybe if you can kind of gauge where I'm going. Mm. This is what's frustrating uh, for me is because, you know, Matt, we've covered bad movies on this podcast before. Indeed. Um, the Happening and Battlefield Earth. Uh, bit of a long list there. Yeah, Serenity and Freddy's Dead, the... Uh, Freddy's... <laughs> or, or, never know Freddy's Revenge. Part, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Some bad movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think they kind of Batman and Robin, uh, Joel Schumacher. I think they kind of knew they were making bad movies when they made those. These people are legit trying to make something that can be good in the theater because DC slate at this point, you set it up so well is in speed mode. They're in fifth gear when they should be in barely going into second. Uh, it's fr- they're trying to make a good movie. And I think because they're just like, it's just, Rimrock, 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 Rimrock mm. is so frustrating to me. I'm like, I got something very poignant to say at the end of this, uh, but I, I just can't believe like what's happening, especially with this talent. Two Oscar winners, th- three others that have been nominated for Academy Awards. You're telling me you couldn't put something coherent on the screen together? And these actors, God bless them, they're trying. I mean, Margot Robbie, you mentioned her a lot. She's at least having fun playing this character. She nailed Harley's pantameter and her way of speaking and that voice. It's right out of the animated series. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Smith is not terrible. Uh, Viola Davis is steely cold, like a cold bitch <laughs> in this. She's pretty good. Leto's very miscast in, in this film. And Kinnaman is, you know, playing not with the stacked deck in his acting repertoire with this screenplay. But they're trying. They're mm-hmm. trying hard. It poses an interesting question, doesn't it? Mm. Is it a greater sin to try to make a good movie and have it come out trashy or to purposely schlock something on screen that's going to suck like Batman and Robin? I don't know. They both in their own right, I guess, are ambitious to a certain extent. Well, the thing is, is when the studios never want you to say, hey, this is a bad movie. We intentionally made it that way. No. 
put that in the marketing. It's called comedy. They just call that comedy. <laughs> yeah, like no one comes out saying that. It's only after the fact where they're mm-hmm. like, we intentionally tried to make it that way. More of a campy take on Batman. Okay. No one comes out saying our movie sucks. <laughs> right. Wanted- if it's if it's campy, you can say it's a, ser- a satirical take on consumerism or some easily chosen whipping boy that you can you know, lynch in the public town square at uh, high noon or whatever. This, though, isn't. The amount of wishes that I wish someone would grant you and I so we could be in writing room or on set for the dailies Mm. and the viewings would be such... Anything having to do with Robin Williams' Popeye would be my first choice. Yeah, This might be the second. When they're viewing the dailies on this, did they just go, yeah, cool. Explosions, bullet shells on the ground, quick one-liner to get out. This is clever. Let's keep going. Or did someone actually go... Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> Holy smokes, what are we doing? Yeah. Because if that was the case, they could have at least stopped it and tried to salvage something, but instead they just stay the course. Mm-hmm. And you get what we saw. Certainly the dailies cannot be saved by this far superior villain that is way out of the wheelhouse for any of these, and frankly, probably out of the wheelhouse for the Justice League at this point. That's working against them. Oh, big time. But there's enough of the street-level stuff with those bubbly-headed creature things that you're saying that are essentially ground-level fodder to where it could have worked out. And, you know, the other thing about it is the action sequences per the choreography there aren't entirely awful. Like, they're not great, and it's a little bit reheated, but that's not why the movie fails. It's all the other stuff. Yeah, that's just sprinkles on the shitty Sunday. So, (laughs) lipstick on the pig, Mm -hmm. sprinkles on the shitty Sunday. Oh, I don't know what's a bigger sin. It's I, I hadn't thought about that. Jesse. I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna play a I'm gonna play a, a clip here. I almost don't want to play it because it's so terrible. Okay. Question. Oh, he's back. Would you die for me? Yes. That's too easy. Will you? Would you live? Why is he growling when he talks? Hmm? Yes. Careful. Do not say this oath thoughtlessly. That's Heath Ledger. He's doing Heath Ledger there. Surrender, surrender becomes power. Do you want this? I do. that she's going to take an acid bath. In in a better film, this scene could probably actually work really well. It's kind of like the ending of your one visage to become the new... It's like the Bride of Frankenstein moment, really. Uh, But not here. It's in... She has like this flashback in the middle of a stairwell in the middle of this mission to this kind of crazy thing, and it brings Leto back into the movie again, unfortunately. Like I said, growling his way through the dialogue. I don't know how that was a choice, too. But it it just it's we didn't need to see now you decide to show the origins of Quinn this late in the game like what are you what are you doing here uh, it's all it's this needs to get out of here too the other thing is the movie's too long uh, it's over two hours and this is a scene that needs to to instantly go a very uninspired effort mm-hmm. with a very uninspired score behind it it's just stock level 
sound sort of as music that kind of fits and go ahead and throw it in there. Completely uninspired and unnecessary. I think maybe like this film wanted to dive into the toxic relationship that is Joker and Harley Quinn and what that's all about. That's a movie itself. Oh, of course. And I think they go into that in Birds of Prey and do it without even having Joker in the movie. Her aftermath and reaction to finally breaking up with this toxic figure in her life. And that movie handles it really well. Here, it's just, oh, it's just another thing. It's just another, like, the editing in this is we cut back and forth between all these flashbacks and all this, can't remember the name of the effect, effect in Final Cut, but it's just, like, the thing that makes, like, the sides, like, vibrate. It's, like, the whole thing's all shaky. Like, we're trying to, like, we're, like, in some, like, concussive state here and everything's moving around us and it's so awful to look at. Like, that as a palette, as a cine, cinematography palette, get that out of here, too. That sounds, like, busy to me. Oh, really busy. So what does busy look like with uninspired motivations? That is mm-hmm. what it looks like and sounds like. Trash. Unnecessary. Uh, how long's the runtime on this film? Did you look? Yeah, I said two over two hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, this has no business being more than an hour and 40. There's just not enough content. And that's five minutes we could have done without. Look, the story in Arkham mm-hmm. with a well-cast Joker that isn't rushed and that's, I, I actually do think Jared Leto could pull it off. I don't have the same bone of contention that you do, but I th- no, I think he could. There's things I like, I, I, I like the short hair. Like he's like, he's got the build to play yeah. Joker. Right. It's just, everything else is just so distracting. You can't focus on anything else. Slow down and do the seduction of Harley Quinn. And that's an entire movie, but that's not this film. It's mm-hmm. called suicide squad, not the Harley Quinn origin story. Mm-hmm. And that's what now we're starting to border with. And this is, Another moment in her backstory where most of the other characters haven't had any. I mean, literally, Boomerang <laughs> and his jewel heist where the Flash showed up is all we get on that guy. We That's don't, it. We don't know why he carries uh, Boomerang? Noah, the unicorn in his thing. Like, was that a memento from a child? Like, why, why does he carry that? Right. Why is he into that? There's no time for the film to tell us that. Other than on his baseball card, it says they don't he's even, into pink unicorns. They don't even go into any detail other than that. They don't even do a good way of show, uh, telling us. So, you should probably highlight Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn, because that's an important piece of this story, and I would argue the probably most compelling one. It's just not this movie, man. It's not called The Origin of Harley Quinn. It's called Suicide Squad. So so their mission up to this point has been to reveal to us at this point to rescue Amanda Waller who's kind of trapped behind this you know, the, the 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 enemy lines here and of course pisses everyone off <laughs> and then that's interrupted again by Joker hijacking the film again to rescue Harley Quinn only to crash that okay this is how non-consequential this scene is too she's going to run off with him they take the implant thing out of her. They kill it. They crash his helicopter only for her to end up back on the street level just so Amanda Waller can get a second helicopter that they're also going to crash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Could have just cut this whole scene out. We already know Harley's rogue. She's waiting for Mr. J, who's given her, like, I hate that stupid emoji joker on the text messages that they're that they're talking back and forth with, like... Just like you said, the excess and the taking up a space in this film when we could have made it a lot leaner and then not focus on the stuff that's obviously not working, which is the I already told you they took out most of his scenes. Keep going at that point. Like why did why why this too? Uh, because we end up at the same spot. You right. know, Weller's gonna crash. 
we just have to go through another helicopter sequence. We go through two helicopter sequences, and then we got to go get her back. That finally gets us to Enchantress. So the end goal of this thing was never to get Enchantress. It was just to get Waller, and that's kind of stupid, too. It's structured like white noise on AM radio. So all of these multiple helicopter crashes and just this nonsensical buzz of bullshit that's happening in the background leads you to, at best, a poorly sounding, tuned-in song that's reheated from the 1950s or 60s. It's literally AM radio dial on your radio right now. And the Amanda Waller bit is the song, and the chorus of that song is back to what we talked about, which I want to remind you, this is what we're ultimately endeavoring to defeat, these two godlike entities that were voodoo dolls from a cave. Let's just go to FM radio yeah, or satellite radio. Let's just change the channel. Exactly. Maybe it's just time to you know read a book. <laughs> go outside. Exactly. Something like that. Okay, we'll get to a scene here, and this is going to be interesting to talk about. I wonder which direction this is going to change because the movie decides for whatever reason to give some good stuff to a character that we literally know nothing about. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's play this. He killed them. Didn't you? Own that shit. Own it! What'd you think was gonna happen, huh? Hey, Harley, come on. Well, you would just... They can have a happy family and coach Little Leagues and make car payments? Normals is setting on the dryer. People like us, we don't get normal. Why is it always a knife fight every single time you open your mouth? You know, outside, you're amazing. But inside, you're ugly. We all are. We all are! All right, I'm going to be the first to say, this scene isn't... Terrible. It's working a little bit. It's okay. And, you know, there's some passion there in the story. But we get into the details of this Diablo character who torched his wife and kids because, you know, he let the demon out and he went too far. And we've seen how powerful he is. But he's just, like, so just sequestered in the shadows, just so reclused from this group because of how powerful he is. Now, that's something to work with, but it becomes problematic for me. What do you think about it first? Watching these characters reconcile these terrible deeds is interesting. This is, at this point, the best sound you've played and maybe the best point in the movie. Mm-hmm. We're getting to that place that happens where everything goes to hell and everybody breaks up and they all go their separate ways and then something comes in to bring them back together. Unfortunately, this doesn't go that far. Mm-hmm. They don't quite break up. They just come to this realization like, yeah, we all pretty much are terrible and... There's a lot with what Harley's exploring there. Now, again, I made the case a few minutes ago that this isn't Harley's movie. If she does these terrible things for love and then that goes south on her, you have a very complex issue in a comic book character. So there's a lot of gr- like fertile ground to play with there. The Diablo character also working. The problem is... He's had about four lines and maybe six minutes of screen time up to an hour and 20 minutes in. So I'm glad you said that because the emotional crutch and catharsis of your entire movie can't be mm -hmm. 
the eighth build character, he's not even on the movie poster. Right. That's like in Return of the Jedi, if like at the end, like somehow like Lando, like all our emotions be driven through the Lando character. Or imagine this, Matt. I, I spent some time thinking about this. All right. Imagine Endgame where at the end, it's like, you know, Tony Stark built this whole thing, but Falcon swoops in at the last second and puts on the glove and decides to snap Thanos away. Perfect example. Well, it's good. And I kind of like what they were getting into with him. It's too little, too late, and it can't be from him. It just, it can't. The, the film wasn't built on the foundation of Diablo in anything. It has to be Deadshot, don't you think? For sure. Yeah. Right, because that's the one who has the actual most tangible relationship we're trying to salvage other than Flag. And this is what's also not great in this. What leads them to the bar is a very frank bearing of situation from Flag's character that we have to do this because we need to get my girl back and she is being taken over by that enchantress. So we have that moment. And immediately after you cut the sound, Flag is going to come in and starts crying as he's drinking his shot. And that's enough to sway this team of baddies to jump back into the fold. Remember, Harley's had the thing removed now, so she's a free agent of of villainy or goodness. Like, mm-hmm. hired, Merc for hire, literally. Mm-hmm. I don't know what her motivation is, other than she has found some kindred relationship with Deadshot, and they've tried to play that. But again, like everything, it's been done so fast, it hasn't worked out. Maybe the relationship she should have built should have been with Diablo. Where do we go with what they should have done, what they didn't do? Mm-hmm. As good as that bit is in the context of what is good and not good in this film, they're going to blow it up in about three seconds because our boy Joel Kinnaman's going to come in and start crying in his beer. And <laughs> we started to laugh when that happened at the movie. I came here to cry too. <laughs> Stupid. Come on, man. It's my turn. Yeah. But then, okay, we got a showdown with this. How are we, <laughs> we going to the end yet? Yeah, how are we going? How are we going to defeat this superpowered being? Oh, so this is what I really wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. Explosion, a fucking stick of dynamite is what's going to kill this godlike presence. <laughs> Come on, man. There's no ring or amulet or incantation. Dynamite. It's so silly when it happens too, because Harley sneaks up on this enchantress. Somehow has enough time to grab the sword and cut her heart out and pull it out. Not before we have a couple quippy liners like "tear you eat your heart out" or "tear your heart out" or some nonsense that. Uh, and then Smith or Will, Will Smith gives. <laughs> Lady, well, let me just play this. Lady, real you're quick. a bitch. Yeah. What I did. Well, you're Lady, it's not real. I killed the bad. Now, homie, you don't want that. What? I want that. She's trying to play games with you, man. It's not real. It's right. It's not real. How long have you been able to see? My whole life. We're finding out for the first time, too. You can't have them. There's a lot people right here. But it is our time. The sun is setting and the magic rises. The metahumans are a sign of change. Lady, you are evil. Come on, Will Smith. Mm-hmm. What about talk about the little enchantress jig that she's doing up on the stage there? If we had live footage, I would show you. It's a very spastic shoulder roll with a touch of hip. So kind of like Shakira, but a terrible dancing version of Shakira and institute a heavy degree of voodoo-like charm. And CGI. It's awesome. (laughs) Not. 
You were laughing so hard. I did it for you. Thank I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, so, okay, so we get into this ridiculous battle now where the brother figure shows up. And it's it's what I, I laugh about with Batman in the Justice League where you're human. You can't fight something like that. So you literally have to stand around and watch. So Diablo assumes his ultimate form, which is some demon thing, whatever, and is able to kind of go toe to toe from oh, Ragnarok. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> He's able to go a little toe to toe with with this character, and everyone's just mouth agape, watching. Give him hell, man! <laughs> Let him have it. And because for Adrian, they are so useless in this because you've established a team of regular people. Exactly. Get out of here. Harley and, is going between a baseball bat and a mallet. Do you know how effective that's going to be right now? Not. When they can vaporize you and the mallet. Yeah. But then Diablo dies. They, they, so the, the, the SEAL team, Scott Eastwood team, is able to blow up this thing at the nick of time. And so now we have to do actual fisticuffs with Enchantress, who leaves Cara Delevingne's body, and now she's like the voodoo priestess version and it's raining, and it's all over the place. Everyone's bouncing around. <laughs> okay, so, so let's get to it finally. You set it up nicely. Someone find. I think it's... Uh, oh, is it? I don't think it's dead. Someone finds a piece of dynamite. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. They Boomerang, hand, probably. They, they hand it to, 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 to Croc, not before uh, Harley Quinn goes and cuts the heart out, not before a terrific line delivery from Kinnaman, where he's like, her heart's out. We got a chance now. <laughs> yeah, wooden. They throw the dino. It's in, and it's all in slow motion, and it takes about five minutes. <laughs> she throws Will Smith this the gun, her gun, so he can shoot the dino, uh, the 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 bomb dynamite at the right moment when it's got to blow up this sky beam, which first of all, is laying waste to the planet. And we're not talking about just like, oh, yeah, knock that fire hydrant over. It's cutting an aircraft carrier in half. Yeah, and no one gives a damn except the Suicide Squad. Suddenly, this film got so big, big yeah, too big for itself, yes. where it's come down to this group of misfits mm -hmm. to take down a global threat where in a cohesive cinematic universe, Superman would be like, what the hell's going on over there? I'll go take care of it. Right. Wonder Woman would be like, I need to go look into this. Even Aquaman in the sea, probably like, oh, I'm going to get involved. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, this team's the only team that can bring this person down at this moment. Uh, I just don't know why it got like, they're blowing up satellites in space. Uh, how, did they, how did they know? Because they're tapping into Waller's knowledge of all the missile silos and everything on the planet. I hate when movies get this. Like, they don't know their scope. You've established a team of regular people other than Diablo. Your villain needs to be on the same par with you. Yeah, that's really frustrating. And the other thing that really frustrated me in this film a lot, it happens with bad guys, so it doesn't bother me as much as it did in this. Mm -hmm. We have seen the Enchantress and her brother lay waste to mortal after mortal quicker than you can say boo. Mm -hmm. Whether it's those energy tentacles that turn them into like gremlin debris or whatever the hell they are doing to the unfortunate souls that come into contact with bad brother and bad sister that stops for a good five minutes so that the enchantress can wax messianic to jeff goldblum ching we can't toast but we'll do it can't hear it over what her goals are 
Why would she do that? Just wipe them out. Mm -hmm. Don't dick around with having to explain the playbook. There's no reason. You're not even trying to prove to them that you are a worthy adversary that is powerful. You have wiped out everything quicker than we can say boo. And now you're just going to stop mid-destruction for another exposition dump on the coming of this new dawning of voodoo-like mysticism and bubbly-faced ash pod creatures or whatever the hell she's making. Mm-hmm. To do what, Jesse? Again, and here's the final point, to destroy the earth so she can rule over rubble. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, get out of here. And what takes all that down is a great shot from dead shot. Perfect. Bullseye and dynamite. <laughs> well, who would have thunk it? Yeah, who would have thought that, that that would have been enough to bring it down? And then because the movie doesn't establish any rules or sense of consequence, Rick Flag tries to get Dr. June out of the, the husk of the enchantress. Literally, de-husks her. And says, you don't bring her out, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, do it, she's already gone. So he crushes. <laughs> That's about the delivery of That's, Delvine. That's pretty good. Do huh? it. Take this. And he crushes the heart, <laughs> killer. And so she withers away into a husk. And because there's no consequence for death in any of like these films, no. she emerges from the charred husk, perfectly normal, mm-hmm. psychologically sound yeah. after her encounter. Get it? Come on. Like, come on. Like, you couldn't kill her. Like, that was too much for the movie at this point. We care about that character surviving. <laughs> Thank God. I was worried about that. Oh, goodness gracious. I liked your taunting impersonation of her. Do it. Watch what'll happen. Yeah. She's already gone. (laughs) That's so good. But the movie's not over yet because... So they want want payment for, hey, we went through like a crazy 12 hours (laughs) on this job. And Amanda Waller is just so insane in this thing. 10 years off your... Triple life sentence. <laughs> exactly. That's all you get. And they're like, no, I've got some terms. I want, I got to see my daughter. I want an espresso machine. Croc wants BET. Come on. I know. And and she's like, okay, I'll play ball. But you guys are going back to prison. What is it? But Boomerang gets nothing. Yeah, we could. We don't We don't have time. The, the movie's too long oh, already. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you got something. Yeah, give him another Pink Unicorn, you already established that at some degree. Right. Just give him another one. No, the movie says we've had enough of you. And Katana, we, we don't even care. We don't care about Flag, and we don't care about any of these people anymore. Mm-hmm. We Three people. The, the dumbest scene in the entire movie is saved at the very end here for us. I, I turned to you and said, this is so preposterous of what is taking place. So Will finally gets to reunite with Daughter. Yep. You haven't seen Dad in how many years? You haven't seen your daughter in how many years? You're going to spend the hour you have together doing geometry in a fantasy world, in the real world. You would never do this. I can spare an hour. We can go do something outside. We can watch our favorite show. We can do cook together. Even if he takes her to the gun range and is Oh, that's, oh that's way better. Yeah. No. Homework has to be done at this moment. Let's decode hypotenuse and what that means with the way I shoot and why I'm so effective because, you know, wind and shit. No person on the face of the planet would, if they had that moment and they're in those character's shoes, would ever say, I'm spending this time doing homework with that. 
There is one <laughs> decent moment in that. And that's when his time is up and Kinnaman, who's sort of overseeing the uh, hour that he gets to spend with his daughter. From behind Kinnaman come the crew that are going to take Will Smith back to whatever Blackgate prison. We can't decide what the name of that place is, so Blackgate. And they bust out these chains and he kind of holds the guy back. Let him Res- finish. Restraint. We don't have to do that in front of his daughter. Man, that's not much, but that's at least a moment where we're sort of humanizing and like making me believe for a second that these dudes do give us a little bit of a damn about each other. Maybe because neither one of them are talking. So there's no quippy nonsense to distract me. That's very, and I mean very small consolation prize into what is a stupid ending to this. You know what that is? That's like if you walk up to an apple tree and you're like, hey, I want to grab an apple from this tree and a big juicy green apple. Then you grab it and then you pull it down and you turn around and a bird's eating half of it. Exactly. That's what this scene is. Perfect. It looks good there. And then you turn around and like, fuck, it's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, good. That's a great metaphor. I like that. I got a, I got another better, an even better one for the end here. Wow! But the movie finally ends, thankfully, but not before the Joker can show up to hijack the ending of the film and finally break Harley Quinn out because we need to see him one more time. They could have ended this thing a bunch of different ways, but I guess you know we kind of see that kind of come to fruition a little bit, but it does nothing for me. Isn't a better ending? Each one of those three characters <clears throat> they show, whether it's Croc with BET. Will Smith with his daughter or Harley with her espresso machine. Isn't it Kinnaman handing on the way out of the the apartment dead shot, like a, a folder with their next task in there. And then the same thing appearing in Harley's cell. And then with killer croc, instead of breaking him out. Cause think about what that's going to mean. We don't really see that Joker anymore because next is the emancipation of Harley Quinn and then whatever the Suicide Squad is going to be in this number two. That doesn't matter. They're going to break up. And it's done off screen and I couldn't be more thankful. Just hand him a folder (laughs) with a picture of some DC bad guy on there. You expand the universe. It's an Easter egg, a little teaser. Yeah, there you go. And we go forward and we don't have to worry about seeing Jared Leto. Captain Cold, we must stop this guy. (laughs) Exactly. Mirror Master, whatever. Solomon Grundy, anybody. Actually would be pretty good. I would like to see Grundy on screen. Yeah, exactly. A much better way to end the movie. But because they got a Carpy Marvel because they're so far behind. We also have to have end credit sequences. What did you think of the one with Ben Affleck and Waller? Which is kind of stupid too. <sighs> you, I mean, you said it so well. I don't want to take what you said. I'll just give it back to you. Why don't you tell everybody what you told me? And I thought it was perfect. Well, so they're meeting in that steak restaurant again. And Amanda's going to town on this steak, talking through her dialogue again. Mm-hmm. And they make some sort of deal where he she gives... Bruce, the files on the Suicide Squad, but also the other metahumans they've done research on. And I'm like, this is so stupid because we already know he has the information on the metahumans because he got it from Lex Luthor's computer in the last film, Batman versus Superman. You just want him in this movie because you need some sort of bridge from this universe to show up and be the Nick Fury element. Right. And then he comes in with some stupid line. Me and my friends will, will take care of this. And I joked and said, me and my friends are going to make a much more worse movie than this. <laughs> and a higher price tag, too. <clears throat> oh, again, the same thing. We're trying to speed through it, and it's such a sad copycat version of what Marvel had already done. Um, yeah, you said it perfectly. It's it's gross. <laughs> um, Just in the damn movie already. Yeah, end it. We've been here too long. 
And it's uh, just a miasma of just scenes at this point. Let's wrap this up. Just a couple things real quickly. Uh, $175 million budget, $746 million gross. I had the August opening weekend record. So this movie did make some money. People went to go see it. I just don't know if people kept going to see it. Like, I don't know, like how you could see this multiple times and just be so blind to just how subpar everything was at that and it won the oscar for best makeup i mean there was crocs makeup design is actually pretty cool um and then stuff with harley not the joker but they did some cool stuff there and i guess it was enough to to make a a thing but i I did mention to you that the this was a big knee-jerk reaction to the tone of batman versus superman it was so not received well in the tone and it was too dark and too grim so they went back and spent another two twenty two million dollars to reshoot scenes in this movie like to make it this. What's your favorite tasting note of Suicide Squad? I think the Diablo stuff is pretty good done. Mm-hmm. Pretty good done. Pretty well done. When we see the relationship with him and his wife and then her telling him, what are you doing to the family? And she dumps that box full of money and guns on the table. And then the discussion about, well, it killed my family. Like that's probably what I would say is what I think the um, the best part of this film. So I'm going to go with that. I see you looking at me like, yeah, no, maybe. That's, that's good. Maybe. Probably, no, that, that, that'll be mine too. And okay. like you said, like with trepidation, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, Harley's really good in that, in that sequence. And then it's just so derailed by Kinnaman coming in and be like, just crying in his drink and then kind of like them. And then that's enough for them to come and team up to take, take it down. So the movie waited too long to do a scene like this. It's too late. I mean, we were so not on board with anything. You can't save this for us. Right. Even there's the King's ransom, but what's the, Oh my God. I need to take some more of this PB and J drink to wash the taste out of my mouth. The sound you played with the Joker pushing Harley into the vat of acid. Oh. That is just so bad. The acid dive. Yeah, and then the re-embrace that they have in the acid and the red and blue that's sort of swirling around them, which gave me great pause for how did that get in there as well? Mm -hmm. What is on them that's bleeding into the acid to make that color, to make her fall in love with blue and red? And and frankly, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? So I'm going to go with that. Um that's like turn the movie off bad. Mm. Yeah, where do you want to go, huh? The, all the Joker stuff is could easily make the list. I'm going to try not to go there. But I honestly think the oh my God just thing from them taking away from this is the horrible editing in like the first 40 minutes. It's essentially cut into a music video mm-hmm. for to establish characters and story and... That's not how you make a movie. That's how you make a music video, for sure. Yeah. But that doesn't belong in a summer blockbuster superhero tentpole film. I mean, you need to go to school on Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. It's not how they started out their films. Yeah. It was all about character. Establish who these people are and the world that they inhabit. Don't do it through music. Don't do it through just a title card. You got to find creative ways to make us care about these people. And they failed in that regard completely. Yeah, for sure. Is there a master distiller on Suicide Squad? If I have to choose one, I'd probably go with Robbie. There's very, very shallow choices here uh, as far as talent. 
And what's weird is there's plenty of talent to be had in other venues. It just didn't show up on this film. I'm going to have to go with Robbie. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is pretty damn good. Yeah, I think I got to pick her. Will Smith's kind of close, but there's some stuff that kills just everything about that character for me. Because he does this whole thing about these pep talks and Phil Jackson and this and that. He should have been the one that gave like the final pep talk before they go into the Enchantress's lair. It's totally absent from this movie. Right. Uh, Margot Robbie is really good. I mean, that's a that that character is so interesting because it was a creation birthed out of the animated series uh, that 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 became so popular. Paul Denny, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the casting of her, the way she talked, the mannerisms, uh, uh, it all works. And then we just got to see more of that in in Birds of Prey, and we got to see just like a harder, more intense version of that character. Uh, so that 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 does work for me as as well. That being said, though, uh having seen her once now in Suicide Squad and then in Birds of Prey, that is not the marquee name on Suicide Squad 2 that I'm ready to go see. It's going to be more of the same, and I'm worried that's going to get a little overwrought with Harley Quinn-like things that Harley Quinn should probably do instead of just organically making a cool character. I don't know. I think we're in that. It's all about balance. A little might be plenty. We'll see how James Gunn decides to balance a very large cast of characters. It'll be interesting. I really do hope he chooses not to feature her. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be I, hard. I, though. It's going to be hard. Look at the look at the marquee. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. See. that's coming soon. How are you going to rate and grade Suicide Squad? <laughs> well, it's rock cut. This is a bad film. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get into. It. We just did an hour and twenty five minutes on it. It's it's terrible. Okay, rock cut, rock cut, awful. Okay, you're going to love this, Matt. I spent some time thinking what it was like watching this movie now three times now Mm. uh, and just the whole experience of what it's like to sit and watch Suicide Squad. This is like going to a shopping mall and you're really hungry, so you got to go to the food court, pick your poison, Panda Express, Sbarro, hot dog on a stick. I'm going to hot dog on a stick. Okay. I'm getting four hot dog on a sticks. I'm getting two cheese on a sticks. I'm getting a bucket of fries and I'm getting a large strawberry lemonade. Wow. I'm going to eat all that there. That's the excess of this film. Yeah. Yeah. The second I take one bite, instant regret. So I walk into the mall. I'm feeling like shit. First store I go into is Hot Topic. <clears throat> this whole store, you know, like, and I just, I just have to like relieve myself. So I just, I puke all over the entire store. <laughs> The manager comes in. The manager is Warner Brothers Studios. Comes in and says, sir, you threw up all over all the merchandise. You have to pay for this. And not only do you have to pay for it, you need to put that shirt on. You have to walk it out. Watching and experiencing Suicide Squad's like puking all over a Hot Topic shirt, being forced to wear it out of the store and back into your car. Sad, defeated, and just disgusting. Expensive. And expensive. It's... It's pure rock cut. Oh, that's so good. I, I mentioned earlier we've covered some bad movies, but I don't think we've ever covered a bad movie with the intent to be good with a budget like this. Yeah. Nearly two, two over 200 and then 100 plus more for marketing. We're into $400 million spent on a film like this. Go donate $400 million to your whatever charity mm-hmm. or donate it to like disease research. Do not spend this amount of money making a film like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't 
talk you off that cliff. I would say, I hope when you get home, you put that shirt in the washing machine or maybe the trash and never have to. No, because I set myself on fire with the second I get into my car. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's so well put. And that's as teeth pullingly bad as this watch was. Like, uh, like if a movie's bad in like Freddy's revenge. Yeah. The movie's bad. It cost a million dollars to make mm-hmm. like no skin off our teeth and it made back its budget. Mm-hmm. When it's this much, like, there's so many great ideas, original content that can be invested in. I know we work in that space, so that we there's that frustration there. But when it, the product is this, and they spend that much to get that, no, put that money somewhere else, or recognize what you've done, pump the brakes, and say, let's not ruin the whole thing. Let's salvage what there is, unless. That's what the reshoots did for this film to get it to what we saw, Jesse. Oh my gosh, yeah. fathom that. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, cheers to <laughs> cheers to your terrible rating and this terrible drink. As well. But let's wrap this up with our nightcap. And this stupid song was everywhere when this movie came out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I haven't missed that at all. (laughs) Good, excellent. (laughs) Hit us with the nightcap, Matt. Inspired by the assembly of bad guys to do good things in this film, I asked you to come up with your favorite team selection of antagonists as protag to accomplish some. I don't care what some task is. I just want to know what your team is. And to be a team, it has to have at least four people in there. Okay. So bad guys to do good things, team. Mine's exactly four. Okay. It's the second you pose this question to me, it's the first film that that popped up. And it's the Wild Bunch. Here's Great a, choice. Yeah, here's a, yeah, four pretty. And then, you know, when you think Western and the lawman and, you know, people of that, you're like, well-to-do, pretty well-respected, authority figure, by the books. Not these guys. I mean, these guys are vicious. They're brutal. They're misogynist. They're just like everything in between. And it's William Holden and Ernest Borgnine and Robert Ryan. Yep. Great, great cast, great characters. And the best part is that they kind of know at by films and that their time is ticking, ticking down. They go out guns blazing. Mm. It's one of the best sequences in all of film. I, I love it so much. So that's got to be my choice, the wild bunch. You spend a good amount of time with their nefarious, disgusting deeds. I always remember the just like, I remember when we watched that in your class, Matt, that I had, oh, I, I think I had fallen asleep in there, blame, blame the music teacher that day. But I, I woke up like, you know, you jerk yourself awake in class. And mm-hmm. I woke up during like that hot tub scene. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> this is a weird scene yeah. that's taking place. And then going back and rewatching it, like you spend a good time with these guys just kind of being assholes. Yep. So that's my choice. Good one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with sleepers. Oh, good. For those of you that haven't seen Sleepers, it's the story of these reformed, uh, what you'd say, system kids that got thrown in the Huskow at a young age for basically stealing a shopping cart vendor's little stand and putting it down a row of steps and killing someone. So while they're 
incarcerated in the boys' home or reform institute. They just are taken to task by the terrible guards that are there. So then this is them coming back together 20 years later, and none of them grew up to be good guys except for one. Is it uh, Jason Patrick that's the lawyer that kind of puts it together? Yeah. The other four are complete shitheads, though. But you're pulling for them because the guards have done such terrible things to them. So I'm going to go with Sleepers. And if you haven't seen that film or good. The Wild Bunch, yeah. good choices. you have two movies to watch this week. Great choices. Thanks. Excellent. Well, that's Suicide Squad from 2016. Good riddance. It's part of the Rice Mile canon at this point now. Yeah. But hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. That's where we do a good majority of our posting of pictures and the episode links. But the episodes can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Tune, essentially where anywhere you can get a podcast. Right. Um, you, you just type in Rice Mile, you'll you'll find us. Uh, where do you listen, actually? iTunes. <laughs> you listen on iTunes, uh, Apple? Yeah, I do too. And then maybe sometimes on Stitcher. Mm-hmm. I just like Stitcher's uh, players really nice. Okay. Um, but if you're on those sites, give us a rating and a review. Um, it just helps the, the show find a different audience, bumps it up in the metrics. However that works, but um, it always just it just helps any, any of the shows. Let's talk about Wednesday and then talk about next Saturday. Absolutely. Oh, one, one more thing real quick. Uh, we rolled out you know, our merchandise line, too, through tpublic.com. They're a great site, you know, helping out a lot of great local artists. Uh, we're wearing some of it right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can uh, go check out some of that as well. So that's, that's very exciting. The turnaround time on that is a week at most. And I can tell you, looking at the pillow that's sitting on Jesse's couch... Uh, the stuff's great. Um, I have a t-shirt on. He has a mm-hmm. t-shirt on. Yeah. Magnets, coffee mugs. The coffee mug with the banner that wraps around is terrific as well. If you want to indulge in some beverage as you listen to us with us, that's a good way to do it. Absolutely. It's quality stuff and uh, priced very, very reasonably. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> the show gets a cut of that and the artist gets a cut of that, but mostly we want you to rock our brand. Rep the merch. Yep. Excellent. Well, like we uh, prefaced earlier in the show, the Patreon is going to be off and running this Wednesday. And the first big thing we're offering is our Rye Watch Along of 1979's Alien. Mm-mm-mm. So excited to, to do that. That's going to be just like Matt says, that's just such a departure from the regular show um, and not what we do is like a recap and not a live recap for that matter, too. So we'll be watching the movie guiding you through it so like just imagine you're sitting on the couch with us and we're just kind of walking together through the film screen together with the characters is what that's going to be like so essentially we count you in one two three hit play we all hit play at the same time and we watch together that's going to be a lot of fun and then there's going to be some more bonus stuff in the works then um falcon and winter soldiers coming out we're going to be taking a deep dive in that on the top tier top shelf patreon tier but if you want to sign up for that you know we have links on all of our socials but then it's real easy it's patreon.com slash rye smile films sign up the rest of the month has some other big things coming we don't want to let the cat out of the bag but uh i think there is the potential for a very interesting discussion with one of the things coming up here in the not too distant future that is not alien or winter soldier something different check it out it's going to be worth your time i promise excellent well next week we are going to stay in this dc rock gutty space the whole point of this cask is to build up to something that is pretty cool that happened, which is the release of the fan-demanded release of Zack Snyder's Justice League, whatever that's going to look like when we finally get to see it. But before that, we have to talk about the Justice League film that did get a theatrical release. The year following this film, it was all building in a very rushed fashion to get these characters together as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. 
And that happened with a lot of behind-the-scenes drama involving Joss Whedon, Zack Snyder, (laughs) a bunch of powers and play, and arguably Matt. That movie might be in worse shape than what we just watched (laughs) today. So I've only seen it the once, but it wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm excited to go back and check that out. And then we can do a nice compare and contrast on that version versus the Snyder one. Since I've seen this the second time, I've tried to go two more times, and there's a breaking point, which keeps happening about the 42-minute mark that we'll talk about specifically. I'm curious as to see if you see what I see there. I'm excited. Yeah, but this is going to make me, force me to keep going. Okay, yeah. No mank turning the movie off at this point. we got to power it through. No turning it off. Excellent. Well, cheers to you, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers to all the listeners and all the exciting stuff happened this month. We really hope you like this this episode. People tend to like when the movies are bad just because we torture ourselves. Yeah. The stuff we do. But I got to get going. I got to go and I got to wash the taste of this movie and this drink out of my mouth. Um, I think bleach is going to be the only thing that's going to get it done. <laughs> Mr. J is coming to pick me up, so I got to go to pudding. <laughs> Oh my God, is he coming in his purple Lamborghini? Honk, honk, right out front. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Suicide Squad is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Atlas Entertainment, and DC Films. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Good night. You look tired. You should stop working nights. You should shut it down. My friends and I will do it for you.